So uh, the last time we had done this, we talked about the carbon dating. Doesn't carbon dating prove the earth is millions of years old, contrary to what the Bible teaches? I've actually heard this on the street. You know, it's, uh, it's may not be a stumbling block to you, but to some people it is. They think that somehow carbon dating proves the earth is millions of years old. So therefore, the Bible isn't true and so forth. So maybe it's not a stumbling block to you tonight, but know that it is for some people. So hopefully, uh, the things that we go over tonight maybe will help you in dealing with other people sometime, okay? So right away, if somebody tells you that they know the earth is millions of years old because of carbon dating, right away, you know, they don't have a clue what they're talking about. Because carbon dating is not used to, uh, to measure millions of years, okay? It's only used to measure things, samples out of the dirt you know, roughly up to 50,000 years old. Okay, I've heard there's a, there's a brand new and improved kind of carbon dating out now that supposedly can do a little bit more or whatever. But for the most part, carbon dating is only used to measure 50, 60,000 years and no more. If you want to measure millions of years, supposedly, in a sample that you've dug out of the dirt, you have to use one of the other radiometric dating methods, they call them. There's potassium argon, uh, strontium rubidium, uranium lead. There's a whole bunch of them, okay? Now, this, uh, this what we're going to do is go over... First, how carbon dating is supposed to work, okay, and then we'll talk about the problems with it, okay? This textbook says before radiometric dating was available, many people had estimated the age of the Earth to only be a few thousand years old. Now, hold on a second. If you remember the last few times we did this, we talked about how they've been teaching the Earth was millions of years old since the late 1700s, right? Carbon dating wasn't invented until the 1940s. So when they, what is this author trying to imply? He's trying to imply that, well, you know, before this wonderful thing called carbon dating... People believed in thousands of years, but because of this wonderful scientific evidence, now we know that it's millions of years old. But you can see that that's, that's not true, right? Because we've, we've, they've been teaching it for at least 150 years before carbon dating was ever invented. So the next time you read something like this in a textbook, hopefully you'll be able to, to spot that and pick it out, okay? So that's, maybe you can kind of see why we covered some of the historical aspect of some of this. Now here's the periodic table of the elements that everybody loved to memorize in chemistry class, Right? So up there in the red circle, you have carbon and nitrogen on your periodic table. Okay? Now, by the way, before we even go into it, if every one of these dating methods, carbon-14, potassium argon, and so forth, they all rely on what's called radio, uh, radioactive decay. Okay? Carbon decays to nitrogen. Okay? Uh, potassium decays to argon and so forth. All of them are moving down the periodic table, not up. So if in order for evolution to work, chemical evolution, you'd have to have elements by themselves getting more complex and moving up the periodic table. We never observe that in nature. It's always down, okay? So it's exactly the opposite of what evolution would require. But anyway, the sunlight comes into the atmosphere, strikes the atmosphere, okay, the cosmic rays. They make fast-moving neutrons up in the sky, and they, uh, the neutrons collide with nitrogen atoms in this, up in the atmosphere, and they create carbon-14, which is radioactive, okay? It has an unstable nucleus. It does not like to be carbon-14. So over time, it's going, the carbon-14 is going to break down back into nitrogen, okay? And this is, when we talk about this, it's going to be just somewhat simplified just a little bit because we don't need to get too technical or confusing or anything. So just know that it's slightly simplified, but not much. You're definitely going to get the gist of it, okay? So the Earth's atmosphere contains 78% uh, nitrogen, 21% oxygen, 0.06% carbon dioxide, and 0.0000765% carbon-14, okay? So, during photosynthesis, the plants, they take in this carbon-14, okay? And then uh, it becomes part of the plant, and then animals eat those plants, and then an some animals eat the animals that have been eating those plants. And so, it, you have carbon-14 in your body right now, okay? Now, 
it's assumed that the ratio of radioactive carbon-14 to normal carbon in your, in your body and in the atmosphere uh, is going to be about the same, right? So, it, again, this is a little bit simplified, but if there's 0.000765% carbon-14 in the atmosphere, it's assumed that that's how much is in your body, too, okay? So, during your lifetime, you continually take in this carbon-14, but then when you die, of course, it stops, all right? Any plant that's taking in carbon-14, it gets buried in the dirt, uh, whatever carbon-14 it had in its body, or in, its, in, in the plant or whatever, is buried in the ground, and then whatever carbon-14 was there is decaying while it's in the ground, okay? So, every 5,700 years, uh, half of the carbon-14 in any sample will break down back into nitrogen. That's what's called the half-life, okay? So, if I had a jar of carbon-14, say there was a pound of it, and I set it here on the podium, and I went away for 5,700 years and came back, I would have half of a, a jar of carbon-14, or half a pound of carbon-14, okay, because half of it would have decayed back into nitrogen. So let's say I just, I left it alone and went away for another 5,700 years and came back. I would have now a quarter pound of carbon-14 in there, okay? To go away for another 5,700 years, come back, I'd have an eighth of a pound, so on and so forth, okay? So by comparing the amount of carbon-14 in the object being dated with the amount currently in the atmosphere, it can be estimated how long this thing has been dead and buried, okay? So... If you, may, if you dig up a sample out of the dirt, it contains 0.000765% carbon-14, you'd say, oh, it hasn't had any time to decay. It has, it has the same amount of carbon-14 that's in the atmosphere, so it must have been just recently buried. Okay, but if you dig it up and it has half of that, you'd say, oh, it's been dead for one half-life. It's been buried for 5,700 years, okay, because that's how long it takes for half of it to decay away. If you dig it up and it's got a quarter of the 0.000765%, you say, okay, it's been dead for two half-lives, so it's 11,000 years old, and so on and so forth, okay? So that's basically, in a nutshell, how it works. And, and on the surface, it, it sounds good, doesn't it? I mean, it, it's kind of clever, right? I'll, I'll admit that. But, you know, in Proverbs chapter 18, uh, verse 17, it says, He that is first in his own cause seemeth just, but his neighbor cometh and searcheth him. You know, sometimes the first time you hear something, whether it's religious ideas or, or, or scientific or whatever, it seems right the first time you hear it, right? Have you, have, you, have you ever dealt with the Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, you know, whatever, people like that? Sometimes they'll come to you with their doctrine, and if, you don't, if you're not well-versed in your Bible, sometimes these things, they sound good, at least initially, until you search it out, right. okay? Until you go to your Bible and you say, wait a minute, that's not good, Right. right? It's the same thing with some of these scientific teachings, particularly when they try to contradict the Bible. It sounds good the first time you hear it until you search it out a little bit, okay? So uh, imagine you came in here tonight and there was a candle burning on the podium. <laughs> there is, right? Okay. And, and I want you, but no, nobody was in here. You're here by yourself. There's a candle burning there. And you wanted to know, you know, when was this candle lit? How long has it been burning for? Okay. So let's do some, some scientific tests, and we'll figure it out. Okay, so here's our empirical science. First, let's measure the height, right? I just happen to have a, a tape measure here, too. I planned it ahead of time. Okay, I measured the candle. It's, got, it's exactly seven inches tall, okay? So there's our first piece of data. Then we're going to do another test. We're going to measure how fast the candle's burning. I got my stopwatch here. Go, stop. It's burning exactly one inch per hour. Okay, so that's our scientific data. When was the candle lit? Who can tell me, based on those two pieces of information? Anybody tell me? It's, it's, it's like those, huh? Yeah. It's like those, those uh, 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 multiple choice questions you get in school where letter E is always not enough information. Remember those? Right? 
We don't have enough information to tell when this candle was lit just based on those two, uh, those two pieces of data there. Okay, so now if we want to know how long ago this candle was lit, we're going to have to start making some assumptions. Okay, so first of all, how tall was the candle when it was lit? If the candle originally was eight inches tall and now it's seven, that's going to make a big difference as if it started out as 15 inches tall and now it's seven, right? Okay, that's number one. Number two, has it always burned at the same rate? Uh, maybe the candle tapered at the top, and maybe it used to burn two inches an hour. Now it's only burning one. Okay? We, we don't know those things. right? Uh, number three, has, has, it, uh, has anybody walked in and maybe put the candle out and, and come back later? You know, maybe pastor comes in here and says, hey, wait a minute, that's, that's a fire hazard. We can't have that. Puts it out. Then Miss Kathy comes in two hours later, hey, I like it, and it lights it back. You know, we don't know any of those things. Okay? As it turns out, this is exactly the same situation that you have when it comes to carbon-14. If you compare the candle to the carbon-14 test that they do, how tall was the candle? That's the, kind of the same thing as asking how much carbon-14 was originally in this sample that you've just dug up out of the dirt. Remember I said they assumed that it was 0.000765%, right? How do they know that for a fact? I mean, do they know that this thing that they're carbon dating, supposedly 20, 30, 40,000 years old, how do they know that 40,000 years ago, supposedly, that there was that, that same amount of carbon-14 in the atmosphere? Do they know that? Was anybody around back then? To, no. Okay, they don't know that at all. Uh, has it always burned at the same rate? Has carbon-14 always taken 5,700 years for half of it to decay? I mean, has that always been the decay rate? You might think uh, at, at first glance, well, yeah, you know, chemicals, uh, elements do what they do. But they know that many things can affect the decay rates of carbon-14, like uh, magnetic fields, for example. The Earth's magnetic field is getting weaker all the time. They know that. It's, it's actually getting weak at a pretty fast rate. So in the past, with a stronger magnetic field in the Earth, carbon-14 existing in the past would have decayed much faster than it does today. Okay? Other things like heat and pressure and the other elements in the ground, all these things can affect decay rates of carbon-14. Okay? It's always decayed at the same rate. Here's, uh, here's an article just to show you. I'm, I'm not just making it up, Forbes. Uh, radioactive decay rates may not be constant after all. You don't say. Okay? Has anybody walked in and put this candle out and relit it? Well, how do you know that this thing sitting in the ground for thousands and thousands of years hasn't been contaminated with carbon-14 from somewhere else? Or they know that things like water and, and other elements and stuff in the ground can remove carbon-14 out of a sample. How do you know any of these things haven't happened to this thing that's been sitting in the ground supposedly for tens of thousands of years? We don't know any of those things. So how can you trust any of the dates that they give you when they've measured carbon-14 and they don't know what happened in the past? Okay? Here's, a, here's another article about carbon-14 spiked worldwide over 1,200 years ago and the sun is to blame. Well, the sun produces the carbon-14, so yeah, it would make sense that solar flares and cycles and things like that would have an effect on the amount of carbon-14 that's produced from year to year. It's not constant. Okay? And also, has carbon-14 in our atmosphere today reached equilibrium yet? And what do I mean by that? Well, if you had a barrel, and you, you, start, you put a garden hose in the top, but you have holes drilled in the side of the barrel, and you start dumping water into the barrel. As the water's coming in, the water's going to start leaking out the holes, and the, the water level in the barrel is going to rise until the amount of water coming into the barrel is equal to the water going out. At that point, the level will stop, and that's called equilibrium. Okay? So years ago, some scientists got together. They said, you know, I wonder how long it would take if we had a brand-new planet Earth with zero carbon-14. You just stuck it out into space. How long would it take for Earth's uh, carbon-14 level to reach equilibrium, you know, to, to where the amount being produced by the sun is equal to the amount decaying away. And what they found was it would take roughly 30,000 years, according to their calculations, for 
uh, for the earth to reach equilibrium. So they said, okay, great. We know the earth is millions of years old, so we can ignore this problem of equilibrium. Because if the earth hasn't reached equilibrium yet, you can't use carbon-14 because the level would have been way off in the past when these samples were supposedly buried, okay? So they said we can ignore the equilibrium problem, except the only problem is the earth hasn't reached equilibrium yet. They found that out through later studies, okay? Here's a... uh, that radiocarbon is forming at 28 to 37% faster than it is decaying. So what does that mean if the Earth hasn't reached equilibrium yet with carbon-14? That means the Earth has to be less than 30,000 years old. It doesn't mean it is 30,000. It means it has to be less than that, right? So now, if the astute observer, though, might notice. So now, wait a minute. You're saying that by these calculations, the Earth would, would have reached equilibrium after 30,000 years. Aren't you using uniformitarianism? In other words, aren't you assuming that in the past, the, the, the rate of creation of carbon-14 by the sun and the, the decay rate of carbon-14 have been constant? You know, isn't that, don't you use constant uh, numbers like that in order to get that 30,000-year calculation? And the answer actually is yes. I am using uniformitarian, but see, that's exactly the point. If you use uniformitarianism, which is the, what all of evolution is based on, then you can't have carbon-14 dating because it doesn't work. The Earth would be less than 30,000 years. If you don't use uniformitarian assumptions, well, then you can't have carbon dating either because you wouldn't know anything about the, the rates of creation or the rates of absorption or the, or the contamination or anything like that in the past. So you can't have carbon-14 with uniformitarianism, and you can't have carbon-14 without uniformitarianism. Okay? And, and that's, that's one way that carbon-14 is actually a kind of a, an indirect proof that the Earth is not millions of years old. Okay? Now, this is from the Nobel Symposium in New York City some years ago. This is, this, this is a meeting of the top dogs. You know, this isn't a bunch of you know, high school science teachers. These are the, the top evolutionists of the, in the world. He said, if a carbon-14 date supports our theories, we put it in the main text. If it does not entirely contradict them, we put it in a footnote. And if it's just completely out of date, we just drop it. Now, you'll never ha- see a quote like that in a, in a high school science book or any of the publications that they put out for public consumption, like National Geographic or Smithsonian or any of these type of, of magazines, right? But when they get together amongst themselves, sometimes you'll have an honest moment like this, okay, where they just admit, yeah, what, what he's actually saying is when we carbon date something, we already know how old we want it to be. So if we test it and it gives us a number we like, great, we use it and publish that. If it gives us a number we don't like, we just throw it out, drop it, maybe test it again. Okay, so let's have a look. Let's see if some of these dates they drop. We'll go through this quickly, okay, but all of these are footnoted. If anybody wants the information, you can get it. This Velocevich mammoth, carbon dated at 29,000 years old, and another part of the same mammoth at 44,000 years old. How could that be, right? Here's a, another baby mammoth, carbon dated at 40,000 years old. Another part of the same mammoth was 26,000 years old, and the wood right next to it was nine to 10,000 years old, carbon, carbon-14 dating, okay? Freshly killed seals have carbon dated as 1,300 years old. Living mollusk shells, carbon dated as 2,300 years old. This is Science Magazine. It's one of the top science journals in the world. Okay. Uh, shells from living snails, carbon dated as 27,000 years old. Again, it's Science Magazine. Uh, layers, uh, material next to dinosaur bones, supposedly 65 million years old. When they carbon date them, they're 34,000 years old, supposedly. Okay. It just goes on and on. It doesn't work. Okay. Same thing, mammoths, different parts dating differently. Now, I'll just touch on this real quick. This is potassium-argon dating, which is one of the other methods I told you about. The numbers get worse when you use other methods, okay? These are the results of some potassium-argon testing they did on the eruption of Mount St. Helens in 1980, right? 
they, they got, when they, when they potassium argon dated the brand new lava, it should have measured like zero years old, right? They got 350,000 years old, 900,000 years old, 2.8 million, okay? I'd like to point out that all three of these dates are different, vastly different, number one, and they are wrong, number two, okay? It doesn't work. I'm not going to attempt to pronounce this. There's another volcano down in New Zealand. Uh, from 1949 to 1975, there were like five different eruptions. It, the potassium argon ages that they got from it range from 270,000 years old up to 3.5 million. It doesn't work. Okay, sorry. Also, it's interesting that carbon-14 is found in coal and diamonds that supposedly formed, formed millions of years ago. Right. So when they when scientists first started researching diamonds, for example, they said, "Oh, we don't have to even mess with carbon dating because there won't have any carbon. Any carbon that it had would have decayed away millions of years ago. We don't have to mess with it." Until some creation scientists got together a few years ago, they did something called the Rate Project, and they found out yes, coal and diamonds both have carbon fourteen in them, which proved that the coal and diamonds are not millions of years old. There's an article about it if you'd like to read that. Okay. Here's another quote from an evolutionist. He says, The troubles of radiocarbon dating are undeniably deep and serious. Despite 35 years of technological refinement and better understanding, the underlying assumptions have been strongly challenged, and warnings are out that radiocarbon dating may soon find itself in a crisis situation. Continuing use of the method depends on a fix-it-as-we-go approach, allowing for contamination here, fractionation there, and calibration whenever possible. It should be no surprise, then, that fully half the dates are rejected. When they carbon date stuff, about half the time, they end up pitching the dates out because it's not what they wanted. The wonder is, surely, that the remaining half have come to be accepted. No matter how useful it is, though, the radiocarbon method is still not capable of yielding accurate and reliable results. There are gross discrepancies, the chronology is uneven and relative, and the accepted dates are actually selected dates. This whole blessed thing is nothing but 13th century alchemy, and it all depends upon what funny paper you read. Okay? That, that's what evolution is saying that. Okay. So I want to go through this quickly, too. This is a report from the U.S. Department of the Interior. I just wanted, to see, wanted you to see this with your own eyes. Okay? They were doing some carbon dating up in Alaska. Okay, here, uh, sample 454 carbon dated at 17,000 years old. Uh, sample 455 carbon dated at 24,000 years old. That's all fine and good until you find out they come from the same animal. Okay? There's another one in the same report. This, this sample carbon dated at less than 20,000 years old. This sample carbon dated at greater than 28,000 years old. And then you find out it's the same exact sample. Okay, it, it, folks, what, what are you going to put your faith in? You know, sh- this, this shaky ground, evolutionary carbon dating stuff, or the Word of God, which has never been proven wrong. Right. Okay, it says in First Timothy six twenty, O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so called. I think the Holy Spirit here was being absolutely uh, uh, prophetic in knowing that in the last days, science falsely so called was going to be such a big deal with people, okay? It's not real science. It's sci- There's nothing wrong with real science. This is science falsely so-called. I also find it interesting that all the new versions have taken this out. They've changed the word science to knowledge. They, they, you know, they said, Timothy, watch out for knowledge falsely so-called. But the King James is the only one that uses the word science. And the King James translator, they had both words available. They knew what knowledge was, right? It says in Ephesians 4, Henceforth, be no more children carried, uh, tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Don't let things like this, you know, you think to yourself, oh, you know, maybe the Bible is wrong. Maybe carbon dating is right. Maybe the, don't be carried away with all that stuff, okay? It's, it's not true. Now, I wanted to throw this in just to be fair, okay, because you might run into somebody that knows their stuff. 
Carbon-14 dating can actually work somewhat well back to dates going to about 1400 BC. So about, you know, the time of ancient Egypt back in there, okay? It can kind of sort of somewhat work going back to that date because, you know, that's, that's just a few thousand years ago. So the, the levels in the atmosphere and so forth are not going to change a whole lot in that time, okay? It's, it's still not reliable. They've done uh, studies on tree rings, you know, where they've, they've been able to count the carbon-14 in the tree ring. There are some trees going back thousands of years. They found that it is not consistent year to year. So, but still, it's, it's more accurate within a few thousand years. Once you get past that, the problems are exponential. It just explodes at, before 1400 BC. And I, of course, I think it's because the flood uh, greatly changed the Earth's topography and atmosphere and everything else, okay? So we, we, we still got a few minutes left, so shift gears a little bit here. A lot of people think that carbon-14 dating is used to date fossils, okay? But it's really not, because fossils are, are you know, animals, organic material that's turned to stone, okay? But you have to have organic material to absorb carbon-14. So all, all the carbon-14 is going to be gone out of a piece of stone, out of a fossil. This guy, an evolutionist, says, you know, I can think of no cases of radioactive decay being used to date fossils. Radiometric dating would not have been feasible if the geologic column had not been erected first. What's the geologic column? Remember Charles Lyell with his book, Principles of Geology? He's the first one to really popularize this idea that there is a geologic column in the ground. If you take the different layers of rocks, okay, he gave each one a name, like, for example, the Jurassic layer. Maybe you've seen the Jurassic Park movie or whatever. Uh, There's different, he gave each layer a different name, a different age, and a different index fossil, okay? That is the geologic, prob- uh, geologic column. The only problem is, it's kind of like the Bible for the evolutionists, because without the geologic column, there would be no evolution theory, right? You just saw where they, they, were, they were saying, hey, if it wasn't for this geologic column, we couldn't have carbon dating. It wouldn't work. The problem is, the, you know, the geologic column can only be found one place in the world. It's in the textbooks. It doesn't exist. Okay, I've got quotes that I'm going to show you that it, this might be a good place to stop. I, I, I've promised a few times ago that if anybody had any questions, I would do my best to answer. Uh, I certainly don't know everything in the world, but if I don't know, I'll, I'll do my best to answer any questions that you might have. Does anybody want to ask anything before we continue? Anything at all to do with evolution theory? Any of the stuff we've covered so far? Anything at all? Okay, if not, I'll continue a little bit. We've got a few minutes left. But if you do, if you think something later, just come see me sometime. I'll do my best, Okay. So this guy, again, in Science Magazine, he's another evolutionist. I love this quote. He says, one of the ironies of the evolution-creation debate is that the creationists, that's us, have accepted the mistaken notion that the fossil record shows a detailed and orderly progression, and they have gone to great lengths to accommodate this fact, quote-unquote, in their flood geology. So here's an evolutionist admitting, hey, these textbook pictures that you see like this, uh, Okay, yeah, okay, like the one we just saw, where everything's, you know, in nice, neat order. You've got the simple-celled critters at the bottom, and then they get more complex until you get people at the top. That's all baloney, okay? He says, but the problem is creationists believe this because this is what they've seen in their textbooks, and they, they, go, through, they go through all kind of mental gymnastics to try to make this fit into our, into the, our flood geology. Like, how, try, how, does the, how can the flood explain this? But he's actually saying it doesn't even exist, right? And it doesn't. This guy says 80 to 85% of Earth's surface does not even have three geologic periods uh, appearing in correct consecutive order. I bet they won't tell you that in your high school science book. All these layers that are supposedly in these nice, neat pancake stacks in the ground, okay, 
85% of Earth's surface, not even three of them are in correct order. They're all mixed up and everything. It's, it's a mess in the ground, okay? So here's a few more quotes for you. That's another, just kind of another example of the geologic column that you'll see in your, in your science textbooks, where you got the, you know, the little fishy critters at the ground, then you got dinosaurs and stuff, and then you got you know, mammals that we see today at the top, okay? Nowhere in the world is the record or even part of it anywhere near complete. They never taught me that in science class, okay? This is Encyclopedia Britannica now, okay? The end product of correlation is a mental abstraction called the geologic column. Uh, if, if there was, I'm not going to read the whole thing, if there was a geologic column like they, like they pretend there is in the textbook, it would be 95 miles thick, okay? Without the theory of evolution and the interdisciplinary science of paleontology, it could not exist, okay? Contrary to what most scientists write, the fossil record does not support the Darwinian theory of evolution because it is this theory which we use to interpret the fossil record. By doing so, we are guilty of circular reasoning if we then say the fossil record supports the theory. Did you know that circular reasoning is used in evolutionary science all the time? Okay? And you, you might think, well, wait, they, they, these PhD scientists couldn't be this dumb to use a mistake like circular reasoning. In other words, they look in the ground... And they see the way that the fossils are arranged and, and so forth, and they say, ah, how can we explain this? Well, the evolution theory explains it, okay? But then they turn around and say, well, how, is the evolution, how do we know the evolution theory is true? Well, because of the way the fossils are in the ground. I mean, can't you see it? It's circular reasoning. You don't believe me? Here's a, t a high school textbook. They tell the kids on this page to date the, the rocks by the fossils. You get, that's what the index fossils are. If you find, for example, a dinosaur bone, how do you know what, how, what age that rock layer is that it came from? Well, it's a dinosaur bone, so it must be 65 million years old, right? Well, then how, do you, how old, do you know how old the fossil is? Well, by what rock layer it came from. It tells the kids on the next page to date the fossil by the rock layer it came from, okay? Another evolutionist, this is American Journal of Science. The intelligent layman has long suspected circular reasoning in the use to, of uh, rocks to date fossils and fossils to date rocks. The geologist has never bothered to think of a good reply, feeling the explanations are not worth the trouble as long as the work brings results. In other words, we're going to use circular reasoning because we get the result that we want. Okay? Here's this again, Encyclopedia Britannica. These are not creationists. It cannot be denied that from a strictly philosophical standpoint, geologists are here arguing in a circle. The succession of organisms has been determined by a study of their remains embedded in the rocks, and the relative ages of the rocks are determined by the remains of organisms they contain. Niles Eldridge, one of the top evolutionists of the 20th century, he said, there is simply no way to look at a fossil and say how old it is unless you know the age of the rocks it comes from. Okay? And this poses something of a problem. If we date the rocks by their fossils, how can we then turn around and talk about patterns of evolutionary change through time in the fossil record? They're admitting that they use circular reasoning to push this idea of evolution millions of years. Okay? Uh, sometimes they're dishonest. This guy... Professor Reiner Proch von Zeiten, okay, he, uh, he was lying about the age of Neanderthal, Neanderthal uh, skulls and stuff that he found for 30 years. Uh, a university panel exposed his frauds and he resigned in 2005. You're going to find that several, that this has happened more than once amongst these evolutionists. Sometimes they're dishonest, okay? They lie for whatever, to gain notoriety or, or whatever reason, just to prove their beloved theory sometimes, okay? You're, we'll see more of the, of the frauds later. Uh, but the Bible says in 2 Timothy, evil men and seducers are going to wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Okay? These guys pushing evolution, they're deceiving you. But most of the time, they have been deceived themselves. Okay? They, they're, just, they're just 
regurgitating what they've heard at the university, whatever, okay? So we ought to watch out for that. So assumptions that we have, they have an, uh, an enormous effect on the interpretation of evidence from the past, okay? Man, this, this article says a man-made rainforest baffles scientists. It says a man-made rainforest that should have taken millennia to evolve has baffled scientists by springing up in just 150 years. Now stop and wait a minute. The scientists are baffled because it should have taken millennia. Notice it says it should have taken millennia. That's what their theory says. But what we observe is that it took 150 years. So question, how do they know that it usually takes millennia? What we observed it happening in 150 years. Here's another one. Magic in the marsh. Without any regard to the laws of geology, mud on the marsh is hardening into stone in a few years rather than the thousands it usually takes. Question, how do they know it usually takes thousands of years for mud to harden into stone? Have people been, has, has geology been around that long where they've, they've watched it for thousands of years to know that? No. How do we know that it can happen quickly in a few years? Because we observe it. Right? So how do they know that it usually takes thousands of years? The answer is they don't. Right. It's an assumption. Right. Okay. Fossilization is a process that can take anything from a few hours to millions of years. Same thing. How do, they, how do we know it can happen quickly? Because we've seen it. How do they think that it usually takes millions of years? That's, just, that's what their theory says, but they've never observed that. They don't know that. Okay. Does fossilization take millions of years? This is an atheist website. It says, it's true that in laboratory, uh, petrification can be achieved in a matter of months, but petrification is far slower in natural conditions, really. Here's a petrified cowboy boot with a cowboy's leg still in it. They've done some research on the boot and found it was made in about 1950. No, petrification, things fossilizing, turning to stone does not take millions of years. Here's a petrified hat they found in New Zealand. Uh, here's some petrified sacks of flour they found in a, in a mill somewhere. It doesn't take millions of years. All it takes is the right conditions. Okay? Uh, it's commonly believed that it takes millions of years. It's not true. Okay, you can read that sign. Uh, so we're going we're, we'll to, we'll stop here. We'll talk a little bit next time maybe about the Grand Canyon. Uh, anybody has any questions at all, just let me know. Okay, thanks for being attentive. Uh, hopefully it's been a blessing to somebody tonight. Oh, yeah, yes, yes, Carol. <clears throat> How did it, yeah, how, how did it get so widely accepted? Well, we kind of talked a little bit about that, you know, like in the historical part of this, but it's basically it comes down to the heart of man, I think. You know, man does not want God. It's, that's, been, that's been human history, you know, ever since you know, the beginning, really, um, since, since sin was brought into the world. Amen. And this, it gives people an excuse to live how they want, Right without having to, a God to answer to, okay? Remember, we, we saw that um, Sir, or no, it was uh, uh, Julian Huxley. He said, you know, the reason we leapt at the origin of species and, you know, natural selection, all this stuff, is because the idea of God interfered with our sexual mores. It's just, we wanted to live the way we wanted to. We didn't want God telling us what to do. And the more that people become like that, you know what I'm saying? The more they're going to accept, any, they're going to latch on to anything that allows them to live their life without having to answer to God, you know? That, that's, a, that's a good question. Yes, it's, it's taught around the world, uh, less so in some countries than others, but particularly in the West, okay, you know, in, in Australia. And, and you, you might find it, it's, of course, it's big in the East, too. China, 
I, I think, I don't know if I mentioned it when we were talking about the history or not, but when the Chinese communists came in and took over in the 1949, they started by, they, you'd think they would just come in and brainwash everybody in communism, but they actually started teaching evolution first. You know, because it, you have to get people in the right mindset in order to, you know, have you turn against your fellow man like that. But yeah, it, it is taught all over the world, unfortunately, especially in Europe and America, though. Yeah. So, anybody else? All right. Thanks a lot.